Before we jump into the prayer again this morning, let me just say a big thank you to everyone who had a part in Night to Shine Friday night. That is one of the most incredible evenings and the things we do as a church all year long. If, you not, if you've not been a part of it uh, in the past, let me encourage you, sign up early next year, get trained, get your background check done, and join us. And I'm telling you, you will be the blessed one. We had 170 uh, special needs young adults and students participate, uh, 175, something like that. So that means we had 175 buddies, uh, young men and women, some students in our church going and just hanging out with those individuals all night long, dancing with them, uh, eating with them, uh, playing games with them, face painting, just all sorts of, of wonderful things. 400 volunteers. Uh, what's so neat is our church leads the way, but we open it up for volunteers around the community so they get to see the spirit of our, our church members volunteering as well right alongside them. Uh, we, uh, we, I think, took about $10,000 uh, to put that together we got about 5,000 in corporate sponsorships be, uh, above that to enable this to happen and it, it's just amazing I saw one man I, I thought it was a father son I later learned it, it wasn't it was just a this adult guy on on the sideline of the dance floor where I was standing where I need to be because I've got two left feet and there was a young man in his tux and uh, one of the special uh, needs uh, young adults and and he was just busting a move and and this guy over on the side he was just doing everything I mean I couldn't do it so I can't laugh at him but he was just hilarious and but but he was so into it that this young man w just had a smile all over his face watching these two guys play off each other and I went up to him afterwards and I said let me tell you you have made my night to see someone just give yourself and all that energy and love for that young man. That, and that's one snapshot. It happens all night long. So thank you if you were part of that. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus teaches us to address God as the creator God of the universe who is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. And then he teaches us to address God as a father who loves his children. He teaches us that his name is an entirely different category from all of the creation. And that reminds us that he and he alone is the one who can sustain us and give us new life. And we've spent the last two weeks looking at this, that opening phrase in this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. This is not something that he taught us. Now, it was beautiful when we sang it. It's beautiful to see it on the video when two different people recited it together. And it's wonderful when we pray it as a church together. But this was not a prayer that Jesus meant for us to just pull out of our back pocket and repeat from memory and go on our merry way. It is a teaching outline. He intends for us to hang out with God in conversation about each one of these things. Not simply, hallowed be thy name and move on, but look at all the, all the praises David repetitively gave to God in the book of Psalms. 
And some of you went home and you read Psalm 18 last week, and it was edifying. It, it built you up as you learn. This is not simply a, a quick little thing that we can pray and be done with. And so if you missed one of those messages, they're both online, website, podcast, and I hope you'll, you'll look them up. Today, though, I want us to look at verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Think about the phrase, kingdom of God. Your kingdom come. It's, it's God's kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. It's used quite a bit in Scripture. Jesus uses it in three specific ways. In Luke chapter 13, verse 28, he speaks of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob being in the kingdom of God. Well, those guys are past Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, so we know that the kingdom of God is in the past. In Luke 17, 21, he says the kingdom of God is in the midst of you, which speaks of the present. Right here, right now, we are living within the midst of the kingdom of God. And then in this model prayer, Jesus tells us to ask God to usher in the kingdom. Your kingdom come. God, please bring your kingdom here on earth so it can be just like your kingdom is in heaven. And so that tells us that this is something that hasn't yet happened and will happen in the future. Yes, God's kingdom, His rule, His sovereign reign has always been His rule, His reign is right now. Even though it's not fully obeyed by all, the truth is He can and He does completely rule even through mankind's attempt to do our own thing. You may find, and it wouldn't be that hard, areas on this earth where God's will is not being done. But you need to remember, God is allowing it to be done underneath His rule over all things. We live and we breathe because God allows God's will, God's heart. God's very desire is that His sovereign reign will be recognized and submitted to by all. And in His timing, that day will come. So why would Jesus instruct us to ask God to do something in the future that was in the past and is now in the present? Well, I think we have a clue in the Hebrew language in the way this is written. The, the Hebrews would often write a sentence twice or a thought down twice. Uh, you, you lay out the thought first, and then you say it in a different way to clarify and or magnify with emphasis what you said at first. And so with that understanding, Jesus is saying that we should pray that God's kingdom come. And then he explains what that means by saying, when God's kingdom comes then God's will will be done right here on this earth just as it is already perfectly done in heaven. So God's kingdom, meaning His sovereign rule over all that is created, both past and present and will be in the future, there is no end in this to the Alpha and Omega of God. He was and He is and He always will be the sovereign Lord over all of His creation. So here's the first takeaway this morning. When you buck against God's will, 
You are bucking the one who created all things, the one who sustains all things, and the one who promises that his kingdom, which began before the beginning of time, will be present forever and perfectly in his timing. Now look at the phrase, your will be done. William Barclay, in, in studying this passage, I was looking at his commentary, and man, it just, I had never heard it said this way before, and I really appreciate it. He suggests that there are three ways in which you and I can say, your will be done. And I mean, immediately when he, when he laid that out, I thought, oh my goodness, I have said, your will be done in all three of those ways we can say it out of defeat we can say it out of bitter resentment or we can say it out of love and trust when i was a kid uh, we enjoyed friends you know our neighbors brothers maybe not so much brothers cousins we enjoyed wrestling all right. And, and, you know, today when, when you watch a, a wrestling match, uh, be it one of those legitimate collegiate matches or some of those things on TV that are that are shows, you know, you tap out. Right. It, it, when you when you give up, when you're defeated so that you don't just plumb get annihilated, you, you tap on the guy and, and then they, they know you give up. Right. Now, we didn't tap out as kids when we were wrestling. We had a code word. Uh, you remember what it was? I, I don't know if you all grew I don't know where this came from, but in western Kentucky, when you were whooped, you said, uncle. A and that meant, quit, I give up, you know? And, and sometimes, you, you know, you'd, you'd just be beating up on another guy, and you'd say, say uncle, and he wouldn't, you know, so stubborn, and you could just keep pounding on him, say uncle, and, and finally, finally, he would say uncle. What that was saying, your will be done in defeat. Well, another way a person might say your will be done is not so much with the resignation of defeat, but with a tone of bitter resentment. Have you ever found yourself in an argument that no one was winning or a conflict that just seemed to drag on and on? Maybe you felt like you were in the right and the other person, though, is just better verbal arguer or, or, or they're in a position of strength. Uh, due to authority or the situation. Maybe they are just more stubborn than you. Perhaps it's, in, you know, it's as important as a marital conflict. Or maybe it's as petty as jockeying for that last parking spot in the parking lot when you know, two cars drive up at the same time. And, and you know, I was really there first, but they just... And so you say, your will be done. You know, you push on the brake and you let them in, but you say it under your breath with bitter resentment just dripping off your tongue. We've all been there. But there's a third way to say your will be done, and that's with love and trust. I mean, you have a mind of your own and a will to do one thing. You've got this, this thing, this path you want to follow, but then God reveals to you His will, and it's quite the opposite of what you had chosen to do. That happened to me as a student. 
praying and asking God about what he wanted me to do with my career. I thought it came down to three choices I was wanting his clarity on. Should I be a, a go in the medical field? Should I be an architect? Or should I be a lawyer? And I was convinced I, I wanted to do one of those three things. God, what is it? And he said no to all three. And he said, I want you to be a pastor. And, you know, I, I was very stubborn. So I didn't say your will be done in this matter. Uh, I, I didn't say it with defeat and I didn't even say it with bitter resentment I was so stubborn I refused to say it period no I'm going to be one of those three but eventually eventually through the grace of God and God's strength he gave me the heart to say Lord your will be done and he let me do it with love and in trust. And here's the reason I could answer it that way. Here's the reason I could say, God, your will be done. I'll be a pastor and, and say it with love and trust. First of all, I realized that God loved me. And love dictates that God will do what is best for me, the object of his love. And so it was out of love he said no to architecture and medicine and, and law. And it was out of love that he said, be a pastor. Did I understand it? No. Was it what I wanted to do at the time? No. But I knew the God who loved me was the God who was saying no to three things and saying, you say yes to this one thing. And then I also understood God's wisdom. He was omnipresent. He was omnipotent. He he was omniscient. He knew it all, and he loved me all. And he wouldn't say, go this direction if it wasn't the wisest thing for me to do. So eventually I was able to say, your will be done on earth in my life, just as it is in heaven with love and joy. So what does it mean to say yes to God's will and in God's kingdom? How do we say yes to his will and, and his kingdom? Well, I think Jesus answers that in, in verse 33 of this very same chapter. Put this up on the screen. I mean, in the, in the same chapter that he teaches us how to pray, and he talks about the kingdom of God, he comes back and, and he lays it out like this. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be provided for you Matthew 6 Charles Spurgeon preached a, a sermon on this text over a hundred years ago I think it was in about 1885 and and in this message he spoke of entering God's kingdom he spoke of enjoying God's kingdom and he spoke of seeking God's kingdom well the only way for us to enjoy God's kingdom is for us first to enter it why would we want to enter God's kingdom. Think about it, too, very, very carefully. Because to enter God's kingdom is to step out of your own kingdom and to say no to every other kingdom on this earth. I mean, that is the first and perhaps the biggest step, admitting that God's kingdom really is the only. It's not just the best kingdom. God's kingdom is the only kingdom. Every single thing that might look like a kingdom is underneath God's kingdom some may be good on some level many are not so good 
in, in, in God's sovereign will. He allows those right now to exist. But he's still the sovereign God of the universe. And, and he created it all. So there is only one real kingdom, and it's God's kingdom. But it's hard sometimes for us to admit that. And to the way into that kingdom, Jesus says very clearly, believe on the Lord. I mean, uh, Luke says in Acts chapter 16, 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And then in John 1, 12, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of the will of God. You can do that this morning. You can step out of any little sub false kingdom in this world and step into the kingdom of God. You can do that by praying, Father, not your will, but mine be done today. Father, bring your will to be in my life on this earth just as it is in heaven. So God's heart it's not simply for us to enter into the kingdom of heaven, but it is to enjoy it. And that's really good news. Uh, I mean, many of us think that to step out of our kingdom and our will and doing things our way, to step into God's kingdom is to take on this burden that life is going to be just uh, the pits from there on out. But Jesus himself said, I came that you might have life and that you might live it in its fullness. Now, that's the first part of John 10.10. 10. Many of us forget that before he said that, the first part of verse 10, he reminds us that there is a thief who has come to steal and to kill and to destroy. And that thief has his name. It's Satan. And he's slick. Listen, he is slick. He will point out that your way, hey, Bob, wow, those are some pretty good plans you got there. You ought to run to that. You ought to run with that. Go for it. And not only does he deceive us and lie to us and, and, and try to convince us that our plans are just great, he also tries to put doubts in our mind about how, how great God's plan is. And, and I said he's slick. He's the great deceiver. He won't come up to you and say, listen, Bob, God is stupid and you know it, and that's just dumb. He's too smart for that. What he does is he puts doubt in us, like he did to Adam and Eve in the garden. Did God really say this? I mean, he, he knows there's some of us that, that are enough into the Word and, and we have faith in God. He's not going to just outright call God a liar. He's going to make us question whether God is telling us fully the truth. Knowing all along, Satan, knowing all along that if he can get you to refuse to say, Father, may your will be done on this earth in my life as it is in heaven, he has you right where he wants you. Deceived, we live life our way, and we eventually lose our life. But when we accept God's will for our life in love and in trust, we not only gain life, but Jesus promises we will be able to live it to its fullest. Now, the first step to entering the kingdom is through faith. The second step is for us to enjoy this kingdom that God has allowed us to be a part of. And, and the third is for us to seek the kingdom. Now, you may think, well, Bob, don't you seek it before you enter it and then enjoy it? 
No, you enter it, you enjoy it, but then I think God leads us to seek it as well. Because when we, when we seek that kingdom, we're seeking to expand it. And that's why he said, pray, God, please make your kingdom as perfectly a part of your will right here on earth as it is in heaven. So we are outwardly seeking the expansion of God's kingdom when we pray that prayer. I mean, think about how selfish it would be for us to hear about it, us to get it, us to enter it, us to enjoy it, and then to sit back and say, I found it, I got it, good luck for you. No, we are, we are to seek those to bring them into the kingdom as well. Spurgeon, in that sermon, put it this way. Look at this uh, quote up on the screen. Further, being in the kingdom of God and enjoying its privileges, then seek to extend that kingdom. Go forth every morning conquering and to conquer with the weapons of love and kindness. Seek to win men to Christ. Enlisted in this holy army, carry on a constant crusade for Christ from your earliest waking thoughts till you fall asleep at night. Be intent first and foremost to win all other hearts to Christ. Let all your care go in this direction to serve God to live for God, and to glorify God. Seek this as earnestly as a merchant seeks more trade, as a miser seeks more gold, or as a sick man seeks after return of health. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Now, when you enter the kingdom of God, enjoy the kingdom of God, and seek the kingdom of God for others, your reward is rest. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are labored and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And I suspect that there are some of us this morning who are weary, weary of conflict, weary of heartache, weary of dead ends, weary of treadmills. Weary of losing, weary of hurting, weary of searching without finding, weary of working without progress, weary, bone-tired, and weary. End of your rope, weary. Have you ever noticed that many of your dead ends, if not all of them, are at the end of a wrong turn you made? Not only did Jesus say, come to me, he said, seek God's kingdom and seek God's righteousness and seek them first. And he's talking to weary people this morning when he says that. You don't have rest because you're on that treadmill of life seeking all the things you want, all the things you desire, all the things you think will give you joy and happiness. At night to shine on, on Friday, I, I found myself sitting on, on a bench in the lobby area, met a man who was asking about who was sponsoring the events, and we struck up a conversation uh, about faith. And um, he, he told me basically in his own words that he was open to every teaching in the world, and, and I was one of those guys that was rigidly attached to the Bible. Uh, let me tell you, the conversation was plight. Though behind his thin veneer, I, I saw some anger. 
He was searching for happiness. We talked about that. And he was convinced that he would find it, probably, he said, adhering to the teachings of Buddha, although he himself was Hindu. I asked him what made him happy. He spent the next five minutes telling me everything else, but nothing about what made him happy. So I managed to, to steer it back and said, well, tell me. You, you've, you've told me a lot of things, and they're interesting, and I appreciate that, but what makes you happy? It was interesting to, to hear him say that he hadn't really found it yet, but he was convinced it could not be found in Christianity. Well, let me tell you what Jesus said. Jesus said, don't seek happiness. Seek first the kingdom of God. He said, don't seek religion, seek first the kingdom of God. Don't seek success, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek God first. Don't seek stuff, don't seek power, don't seek position. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all you need, food, drink, clothes, and rest, all you need, all the things that God knows you need before you even ask because you don't even know at first you need them. God already knows, and He provides all of them after you seek Him first. And you will enjoy His rest. Why? Because our God is sufficient. Jesus did not say, seek first the kingdom of God, and God will provide some of what you need. He doesn't say, seek first the kingdom of God, and God will provide much of what you need. He doesn't say, seek first the kingdom of God, and God will give you a head start finding those things that you need. No, he says, seek first the kingdom of God, and he will provide all, everything that you need will be added to you. When you seek God's kingdom, not only will you realize that God is sufficient in supplying our needs, you will find out that His sufficiency is certain. And that certainty comes from His Word, His promise. God promises all these things you need will be added to you. We get all the things that we need, not by our hard work and not by our crafty ways and not even by our own cleverness, not by our own strength, not by our own position, not by our own title. We get the things that we need based on the promise of God, based on God's Word. And this is what I mean. There are those who work hard, and maybe you're one of these. At times, I am. We work hard and we say, look at what my hard work got me. There are those who work smart and they say, look at what my smart work got me. There are those who are clever and they say, look what my wit earned me. And there are those who use their position, their power, their birthright, their privilege, their heritage, and they say, look what I have because of who I am. But like the farmer who did a lot of hard work and filled his barn to the brim, went home, hopped in his easy chair, reclined, got the remote control out and said, look what I've done, I'm mighty proud of it, I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. And God said, you know what he said, and God said, fool to that hardworking, smart farmer, your life will be required of you tonight. Who? will get all of those things you gathered. You know, there are those who work and they buy food and before they eat it, 
they thank God for providing all of that food. Do you realize there are those who don't have a very good job, maybe no job at all right now, and they're going to the day-old bakery to get their bread, or maybe they're buying some food because someone gave them a gift card. Uh, They're struggling right now, but before they eat the first bite of that food that was a gift from someone else, they thank God for providing it. There are those, listen carefully, who work hard, pay their taxes, vote in elections, obey the law, and they thank God for providing them a nation to live in in peace. And there are those, listen carefully to this, who can't find work, aren't allowed to vote, live in a land that makes it difficult because of persecution to be a believer, and they thank God for providing their needs. And those who thank God for the plenty they have or the little they have, find rest because they both notice that God has provided everything they need even if it's not all that they want and when they mature they realize they can be thankful that God hasn't provided all that they want as well last night uh, I came in and, and saw Pam trimming Mackenzie's hair and Mackenzie said something about a cowlick that she has. <coughs> and, um, and, you know, Mackenzie didn't know. And I said, Mackenzie, did, did you know when I was your age, I had two cowlicks, one on both sides, and I had a double crown on the top of my head. And she said, really? I didn't know that. And I, I said, and I prayed. I said, God, would you please remove the two cowlicks and the double crown? And some of you are laughing because you know where I'm going with this. And Kenzie's eyes are just getting bigger. She's looking at me. And I said, and God granted my desire. And she said, really? (laughs) And Pam's just about to die laughing right now. And I said, yep, I don't have any hair to have a cowlick right now. I don't have any hair to have a double crown right now. You know, and, and I'm mature and... If I could go back, I wouldn't have asked God to get rid of. I'd kind of like a cowlick right now. I'd like to have hair like Harold Poole. A lot of hair, nice hair, you know? Yeah. When you see what you have as a result of the promise of God, you'll find rest in contentment. Oh, yeah. Contentment with what God in His love and His wisdom has provided for us because God's provision is sufficient, God's provision is promised, and God's provision is wise. So let me close with this. Seeking God's kingdom doesn't mean we are on some scavenger hunt hoping to find the gate to the kingdom of God. There is only one gate, and that gate is Jesus. And Jesus is the one who came seeking to save us. Isn't that neat? We don't have to go seek him. We seek his kingdom after we know him. He's the one that's seeking us. And so when you worship God, then your life is showing 
what heaven is like on earth. Because in heaven, we will be praising God. And when you obey God, then your life is showing what heaven is like here on this earth. For all in heaven will be obeying God perfectly. And when you treat all life as sacred, then you're showing what heaven is like right here on earth. Because in heaven, all life is living in harmony both with one another and with God the Creator as well. And when you treat the creation with care and respect and great stewardship, you are showing what heaven is like here on this earth because in heaven all the creation is taken care of well. And and when you live a life that recognizes that God is the king of your life and your father and you are his child and his servant, your life is showing what heaven is like right here on earth because in heaven everyone will see him as king of kings and lord of lords and everyone will be relating to him perfectly as father and when the world sees what heaven is like in some small way on this earth because we prayed father your kingdom come your will be done in my life on heaven on earth just as it is in heaven the world will say that looks mighty good i'd like some of that how How do I find it?